This is LAC Online Church in Perry, Ohio. We exist to love God and love people. For more information about our church or ministry activities, please visit LakeErieChurch.com. Now here's today's message. Father, thank you for what you're about to do in this room today. You said your word was power. So God, unleash your power through your word. Let it be strong. You said it was like a hammer. You said in another place it was like fire in our bones. So God, I just pray in every corner of this room, let your word be strong and powerful. Give us an unusual ability to focus now for the next moments to hear the word of the Lord. Somebody in this room is hearing a message that God has divinely ordered for their life. Somebody watching online, somebody listening to a podcast right now, wherever it may be, whenever it may be, God's word is the answer to the prayer that they've been praying. And I pray right now, Father, that your will is done. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, this passage, we've been talking about what it means to experience God. And this passage that Paul read is a very challenging passage of Scripture, to say the least. And I hope to be able to unpack it with you in a way to give understanding to the words and the phrases that Jesus used here. But it, the thing that, that, the question that comes out of this, or at least for me anyway, the question that comes out of this is this question. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? If what we, we just heard Paul read is true, then what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? So when we say that we're followers of Christ, how many followers of Christ in the room? Let me see your hand. Yeah. What does that mean? What does it mean to you personally? What does it mean to the people that know you? When you say to them, I am a follower of Jesus Christ, what does that mean? What does it mean to the world at large that we say that we are followers of Jesus Christ? Now, to be a follower of Jesus means a lot more than just coming to church. It means more than keeping a set of rules or a list of rules. It means more to singing Christian songs. And all week long, I've been asking this question of people randomly wherever I went. Some of you I've asked this question to this week. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? I called people up on the phone that I knew that lived in other places just to get a, a perspective of people that have known the Lord a long time, people that have just come to know the Lord. People that don't know the Lord. What does it mean when you hear that somebody is a follower of Jesus Christ? I've been trying to understand that. And I'm trying to frame it in a way that everybody in the room could understand what I'm saying because I recognize that I'm speaking today and people online and people in this room in various stages of faith development. You take a, a guy like Elder Don Tyree, he's been serving the Lord for decades and decades. And there are others in the room that you've just come to faith, maybe in the last month. 
And you're trying to understand what that actually means. And it's so important what I'm saying this morning to you. And it's very important that you understand what this means in your own life. So I tried to figure out what, what illustration could I use that would help everybody in the room to understand that. So let's see if this works. Maybe if we started thinking about this, just to put our mind around it, think about following somebody famous like LeBron James. If you were to follow LeBron James, what would that be like? What would it mean? Well, it would mean in a very practical sense that you were connecting yourself to him and to his world through the various means by which he allows you to be connected. I doubt very seriously anybody in this room has his cell phone number because he's not giving you that connection. But what he is giving you is a social media platform He's giving you a website. You can connect through the team that he plays for. But it would mean that you are connected through the means by which he allows you to be connected. It also means that you would probably check if you were really a dedicated follower of LeBron. You would follow him frequently. You would check the website. You would update the app on your phone. You would want to know whatever it is, the latest things. You may have even sent a notification that if LeBron tweets something that you would get an instant notification that LeBron James just said something. And a follower of LeBron James would be immediately connected to that. Maybe you would emulate his athletic skills. I mean, I've played with a couple of guys here in the church. They think they're LeBron James, but they're not. They're like LeBron's grandfather, the way they move and the way that they rebound. And if you play with a couple of guys like Caleb or those guys, they foul all the time, but they never claim it. But, but you would probably emulate his athletic skills. You might say, I, you, know, you ought to do this. This is the way LeBron does it. This is the way LeBron dribbles. But you, you might identify with LeBron by wearing his jersey. So that when people see you, they would say, oh, that's a fan of LeBron James because he's wearing the jersey. You would remember the important things that LeBron said, the quotes that he made to other people. You would remember what he said when he, he tweeted to Cleveland, I'm back. You, you would remember the, the things that he said that were important to be remembered because you are a person committed to following LeBron James. Well, if you're thinking about following Jesus Christ, look at this. He, if you're a follower of Jesus on a much more eternal and deeper level, you are choosing to be somebody with a personal and spiritual connection to Jesus Christ. You have decided that you're going to follow Him with a sincere desire to know everything that you can possibly know. You're going to use the means by which he is giving you access to him so that you can know him and you can experience him. You're going to read his words. You're going to remember the things that he said. You're going to share the stories of your experiences with him. And you're not going to be afraid to be identified with Jesus Christ and his family. If there's one truth that I've tried to make in all of these messages during the month, it is that our experience with God is a purposeful decision. It is a purposeful decision to surrender our lives to God and to pick up God's plan for our life. 
As I said last week, it's more of him, less of me. How would you know that you're developing in your relationship with the Lord Jesus? How would you know if you're growing in the Lord? This week, Shelly and I had the privilege, we were privileged to be able to host Camden Resitech in our home. His mom and dad had an appointment and they asked us if we could, if we could uh, entertain him, if he could come and stay at our house. It took us quite a while to make that decision, but we decided that yes, we would allow Camden to come and stay at our house. Now, if you know anything about Camden's story, you know he was just born a few weeks ago. And if you're looking at him, you're already seeing he's growing. There are things that he's doing. He's developing his personality. His uh, attitude is developing. His, his little quirks, because you're watching him in that growth. And that's the way we do here. That's the way the pastoral staff does here. We're watching your growth and your development as new believers. The people in our church, we're watching you as you're growing and developing. We're looking after one another because we all want to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And, and, and I explained it this way to someone the other day who was asking me for some analogy. I said, you know, when you are, when you are raising up a baby, the way that you know that baby is growing is because they start becoming more independent. You know, when they're first born, you have to do everything for them. You have to feed them, clothe them. You have to protect them. You have to coddle them. You have to do everything. But when they get a little older and you start wanting, for example, the little four-year-old, you want to tie their shoe, they go, no, 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 I tie my own shoe. And you start watching them dress themselves and doing things themselves. And, and as you see them becoming more independent, you realize they're growing. Well, with the Lord, it's exactly the opposite. Because when you come to the Lord, when we come to Christ, we come so independent, we don't need nobody. We didn't even know we needed a Savior until the Holy Spirit called, caused us to know that. We lived our own life. We made our own decisions. And so we gave our life to Christ. And the way that you know that you are growing in your relationship to God is that you are becoming more and more dependent on Him for everything. You start developing the attitude, I can't do anything without the Lord. If the Lord doesn't help me, I can't do anything without Him. And it's this development that I'm, that I'm pursuing, this idea of understanding that, that following Jesus is more than just saying a sinner's prayer. It's more than just coming to church. It's more than just doing the functions of the Christian faith, the practices that everybody seems to know so well. Read your Bible, pray, pay your tithes, come to church, give to the poor. All of that is notable, but there's way more to following Jesus than just that. You know, we preached the first, two, first week about this. We talked about the fact that we experience God by knowing his purpose and his will. Well, how would we know the will of God? How would you know what God's will for your life is? I'm telling you, God does have a will for you. He has a purpose for your life. And there's something that he has called you to do with your life. And you have to be able to, to surrender yourself to that, to learn and understand what that is that God wants you to do with your life. The problem, I think, the problem that I see is that many of us, we want God's guidance, but we don't want the guide. I mean, we want God to show us the way. We just don't want God interfering with our own lives. We want to date who we want to date. We want to marry who we want to marry. We want to live in the house we want to live in. We don't ever think about saying, God, what do you want? For my life. 
How do you want me to live my life? How do you want me to surrender myself to your will and to your way? In the month of January, I took on the book of Psalms and I read 10 Psalms every day with this idea that I would seek to understand more about what God desires for my relationship with Him to be. One morning I was reading in Psalms 25 and I would encourage you because it's not a psalm that most people spend much time with. But in Psalms 25, I marked several passages that spoke to this very question about doing God's will and finding the way that God wants you to go as a follower of Christ. In verse 4 and 5, he says, Show me the right path, O Lord. Point out the road for me to follow. Lead me by your truth and teach me, for you are the God who saves me. All day long I put my hope in you. In verse 8 and through verse 10 he says, The Lord is good and does what is right. He shows the proper path to those who go astray. He leads the humble in doing right, teaching them his way. The Lord leads with unfailing love and faithfulness all who keep his covenant and obey his demands. Verse 12 he said, Who are those who fear the Lord? He will show them the path that they will choose. What do these verses teach us? They teach us that there is a kind of person. There is a descriptive of the kind of person that God is helping to walk the path of life in the right way. Notice that he said these are people who trust in the Lord. He said that these are people who are humble. He said that these are people who obey the Lord's command. And finally, he said these are people who fear the Lord. Not fear in terms of fright, but fear in terms of reverence to the Lord. And we're going to go deeper in this in a few months. I'm going to teach and preach to you in a few months about the, the characteristics of people who truly follow the Lord. But here's the point that I want you to understand this morning. It is absolutely critical that everybody in this room who hears me, everybody who's watching me right now, fully appreciates what it means to choose Jesus. We say that every Sunday, don't we? I choose Jesus. What does that mean? What does it mean to choose Jesus? And we, we want to understand that because it's so very important. We say our sinner's prayer here almost every Sunday. We say it on the streets as we pray with people, when, we, when you pray with your friends. And that sinner's prayer is powerful, but it's just the start. It's just the starting line. It's just the starting point. For anyone who's ever raised their hands since I've been your pastor in the last several years that they have chosen Jesus, we have offered you the chance to follow a seven-day digital journey online, 400 words that teach you how to pray, how to read your Bible, how to be a part of the community of faith. But it's just the start. It's just getting started. And you're looking at a guy that has served the Lord for the most of my life. There have been seasons and periods when I wasn't as committed as I should have been, but I've been around the faith a long time. And even at my age now, I'm still learning things about God I did not know. I'm still experiencing Him in ways that I've never experienced Him before. So listen to me. We must recognize that a decision to choose Jesus is a decision to choose a change of life direction. 
that in choosing Jesus, we are accepting the new life that Jesus died to bring to everyone who believes on him. So let's look at the passage for just a few moments, and I will not speak long today. But let's look at the passage to understand what it teaches us about what it means to follow Jesus. Here's the first. A follower of Jesus believes in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and sincerely repents of their sin. Now, if you can see the board, it's a little light, but you should be able to see that. If you can see that, I want you to read that out loud with me. Let's start with the word A. A follower of Jesus. what a follower of Jesus is, believes in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and sincerely repents of their sin. What I want you to understand is that both belief and repentance go together because it is not enough to just believe. A lot of people who believe in Jesus are going to be lost. A lot of people who tell you they believe in God do not have faith in God. Belief and repentance go hand in hand. Just believing is not enough. In fact, Jesus said in the Gospels that the devil, the demons, believe in Jesus. So our belief in Christ must lead us to a repentance of our own sin. So when we pray the sinner's prayer, we are saying some very important things. Now I know, I know that we're repeating these words and I say this all the time that when you say them, if you sincerely mean them, if you are really sincere, then it matters to God what you're saying. And so we say this in that sinner's prayer. What it means is that we are acknowledging our own sinfulness. I acknowledge that I am a sinner. I am a sinner. I am a person who commits sin. My my nature is sinful. I acknowledge that. That's what we're saying in that prayer. Second of all, we're saying that we believe in the cross. We believe in the power of the cross. We believe in the power of the cross to transform us. I'll be preaching this to you in a few weeks out of 1 Corinthians. But Paul said, listen, I need you to understand with all the troubles and difficulties you have, there is one thing in your life that is powerful and that is the cross. It is the cross of Jesus that changed everything, that changed the world order, that when Jesus was crucified, everything was changed. And the power of the cross is still there. It transforms. And when we say, I believe Jesus died for my sins, we are saying, I believe in the cross. Thirdly, we're saying, I believe in God's promise to forgive me. I believe Jesus will forgive me of my sin. We say that every Sunday. And it's built on the, it's predicated on the promise that he said. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just, trustworthy. He will forgive us of our sins. 
I said last week that Jesus Christ went to Calvary's cross and he died for all the sin. All the sin that was behind Calvary and all the sin that was in front. Every sin that has ever been or will be committed was paid for in Calvary's cross. And God said, if you will come to me, if you will come to me sincerely and tell me that you're sorry, I will forgive you of every sin that you have ever committed. A man not too long ago said to me, he said, do you, do you honestly believe God has forgiven me of every sin? I said, I do. I said, did you ask God to forgive you of those sins? He said, I did. He looked at me again. He said, tell me again. You're, you're telling me God's forgiven me of every sin. I said, every sin, everything. He said, Pastor, that's a miracle. He said, I'm not even going to tell you some of the things that I did for fear it might put your life in jeopardy. And you're telling me God forgave me for those? I said, he did. If you sincerely told God you were sorry, he forgave you. I said, now as to whether there's a consequence for the action that you took, I can't speak to that. Because you're not telling me what you are afraid of. But I am telling you that the grace of God, the blood of Jesus Christ, has covered you from all your sin. And sometimes that's hard for us to accept. It's hard for us to understand. It's hard for us to believe. But the fact of the matter is that no matter what you've done, no matter what sin you've committed in your lifetime, whether it was a, 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 a little white lie or a, a little flub of the truth or whether it was a horrible sin, if you tell God that you're sorry and you are sincerely sorry for that, God forgives you. It's called the miracle of grace. And if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ and you wonder why we get so excited when we're singing, it's because of that. Our sins have been forgiven. We no longer carry the weight of that and that's what we're saying. So what does it mean to truly repent from your sin? It means a, a, a change of heart and a change of mind about the way life should be lived. And as a result, it is a choice that brings us close or closer to God. True repentance is turning away from our sin and turning to God for forgiveness. Where somebody accepts their sinful state God, I'm a sinner, and I'm sorry for my sins. And there is a desire in our hearts to be free from our sin, and there is a desire to live for God and be a follower. It's what Paul calls godly sorrow. Now, this isn't on the screen because I, did, I added it after Abby had finished the PowerPoint. But in 2 Corinthians 7 and 10, if you have your paper there, just write this down. 2 Corinthians 7 and 10. And then go back and read it this afternoon if you would. It's a powerful illustration of what I'm trying to say. Paul says the kind of sorrow that God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There is no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, he says, lacks repentance and results in spiritual death. I've known this verse for years. I've quoted it many times. But yesterday, yesterday, relaxing at my home 
this verse popped in my head and I read, I, I pulled it out and I got to reading it. And, and, and it dawned on me what Paul is saying. There's two things here, godly sorrow, worldly sorrow. What's the difference? Well, if you know the story, remember when Judas, one of the 12 disciples, betrayed the Lord? And the Bible said that when Jesus was crucified, he had taken the, the 30 pieces of silver for which he had betrayed the Lord with the religious leaders and he threw it back at them and said, I have betrayed innocent blood. And the Bible said he went out and hanged himself. Judas was sorry for what he did. He had remorse. When he realized what he had done, when he realized what he had done, he was sorry for that. But his sorrow did not lead him to repentance with God. He went out and hanged himself. His sorrow overcame him. And instead of driving him toward God, it drove him to his own death. Let's contrast that with the Apostle Peter, another one of the Lord's disciples who at the trial of Jesus was asked three times, aren't you a follower of Jesus? And he said, I don't know the man. In other words, he denied that he knew Jesus. And when the rooster crowed, as Jesus had predicted it would in Matthew chapter 23, I believe it is, when the rooster crowed, the Bible said that Peter remembered the words of the Lord and was sorry. What did he do? He went out and found a place to pray and pleaded with God for mercy and forgiveness and he was forgiven. That's the godly sorrow that Paul's talking about. The sorrow that drives us to our knees to say, God, I am so sorry, I'm a sinner. I realize that my sin is not against anybody but you, that I have committed sin against you and I am sorry for my sin and I am sorry and I am asking for forgiveness. That's what Paul says. That kind of sorrow leads to repentance. The other sorrow, worldly sorrow, he said, while regrettable, does not do the same. He calls it worldly sorrow. Let's look at one more and then we'll be done. So a follower of Jesus is someone who believes that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he died on the cross, and that he will forgive us of our sin. That leads us to repentance to ask God to forgive us of our sin. Here's the second. A follower of Jesus is a public representative of him in the world. Now read that off the wall for me there, off the screen. Let's read it together. A follower... Remember what Paul read to us a moment ago? He started off by reading these words. Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. But anyone who denies me here on earth, I will deny before my Father in heaven. So when we choose to become followers of Jesus Christ, now pay attention here. When we become followers of Jesus, we become separated from those who are not followers of Jesus. Now, I've wrestled with the nuance of this. and The teachers in the room probably could probably help me with this if I'd ask them. But the word separated is not actually what I'm trying to say because I'm afraid the word separated gives you the wrong impression. I'm not talking about arrogance. I'm not saying we're better than anybody else. 
But the moment that you become a follower of Jesus, the moment that you accept Jesus Christ, there is a division between those who follow and those who don't. Maybe the word's different. There's a difference between us and those who follow Jesus. It doesn't mean that we don't care about people. It doesn't mean it's an expression of any lack of love or concern for other people. And at face value, when you read the words that Jesus spoke here in this passage, they seem harsh, don't they? He said, I've come to separate mother from daughter and father from son. He said, if you love your mother more than you love me, you can't be my disciple. Boy, that's strong, isn't it? I love my mom. But Jesus said, if your love for her is more than your love for me, you can't be my disciple. What is he saying? Well, if you go back and look at this, Jesus is quoting from Micah chapter 7, one of the Old Testament prophets. And in that passage, he's talking about the judgment of God. When we get to the end, when we're there at the end of time and we are judged by God, he said, what he's saying is, is that the cross made you make a choice. The cross required you to choose whose side you're on. And in choosing Jesus, you set yourself against those who did not choose Jesus. It's not implying that you hate your mother. It's not implying that you hate your children. It just simply means if they don't choose Jesus, if they don't become a follower of Jesus, then you are set against them. There's a difference. There's a division of the room. And Jesus said, I didn't come so we could all mingle up here. I came to divide the room. I feel the presence of the Lord. I came to set a division to say, if you want to follow me, you got to make a choice. You want to be my disciple, you got to pick up the cross and follow me. And it may mean you have to be separated from those who do not choose the Lord. You see, one of my concerns is that we have this tendency, if we're not careful, that we think that we can choose Jesus and just keep going to the clubs and keep going on and living our life the way that we did before. You can't do that if you truly repent. When you repent, you are saying, God, I'm walking away from my old life. I don't want to be that person anymore. I don't want to be that girl anymore. I don't want to be that guy. I want to be yours. And I'm stepping over on the side of the room with those who are choosing to follow Jesus Christ. My goodness, I feel the Lord in my heart. You make that choice. It's more than saying a prayer. It's more than repeating a prayer. It's more than coming to church. It's more than paying your tithes. It's deciding that I'm going to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm choosing this new life. I'm choosing to be a changed person. I wish I had 30 more minutes to explain this, but let me just say this in the last. Jerome, come on and get ready to play. Just listen to what I'm saying. There is a work of grace. The old timers called it sanctification. Here's what it simply means. I'm going to use Adam. Adam prays a sinner's prayer and he says, I choose Jesus. I'm making that decision. He doesn't actually know everything that's going to happen. So there's a process by which God is helping Adam to become a disciple of the Lord Jesus. He walks out from this house that day. My sins have been covered, but now what? Now what? 
And God begins to work in Adam's life out of the sincere desire that Adam has to be a follower of Jesus Christ. In my illustration, Adam is in his heart. He's saying, God, help me. Help me know how to be your follower. Help me to be the man I'm supposed to be. Help me to make the right choices. Help me to do the right things. And God says, you know what? I'm going to do that. I'm going to give you my grace. Everybody say grace. You know what grace is? Grace is God at work in me to become the person I'm supposed to be, but I could never be that without the Lord's help. That's what grace is. You want to know how I got here this morning? I got here by the grace of God. God helping me every day. So what does that look like? It means that there are some days when I'm when I'm talking to God and God says, you need to fix that thing between you and Cassie. That division between you, those words that were spoken, the harshness and the problem, the relational, you need to fix that. If you're going to be a follower of me, fix that. That's sanctification. It's scrolling through your TV and there's a program you've been watching for years and all of a sudden you're looking at that program going, you know, I don't think I need to be watching that program if I'm a follower of Jesus. That's sanctification. Hey, girlfriend. We all going down to the club tonight, going to meet some guys down there. You want to go? You got to make a choice. You know what I'm saying? You got to make a choice. See, listen to me. Listen very carefully to me. My gosh, Lord, help me to say this right. You have to make a choice. You're either going to be a follower of Jesus or you're not. And you can't say, I'll take the cross, I'll take the blood, I'll take his spirit, but I want to keep doing things the way I like to do them. You can't do that. Jesus said one time, he was teaching one time, and he said, if you're not willing to eat my blood and uh, eat, my eat my body and my flesh and drink my blood, you can't be my disciple. The Bible said people just started walking away. And Jesus said to the disciples, are you going to walk away as well? It's a hard thing, they said. How can somebody do that? What Jesus was teaching in that moment is that you've got to be all in or you're out. You have to be all in. You want to be a follower of Jesus, you've got to go all in. Does it mean you're perfect? No, 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 by no means. Look around the room. Look around the room. There's, there's no perfect people in here. Everybody in this room is in that process of God sanctifying purging, helping. Your old pastor going through it every day. Every day, God, help me to be the man that I'm supposed to be. Help me to walk in the right way. Lord, is there anything in me that needs to be dealt with? Because I'm telling you, I want to be a follower of Jesus. That's the choice that I make. And that's the choice that you have to make. Do you want to follow 
Thank you for listening. Lake Erie Church is a multicultural Pentecostal church located in Perry, Ohio, about 30 minutes east of Cleveland. We would love to have you for a visit sometime. For more information or to connect with our team, please visit lakeeriechurch.com.